0: Well, good morning, Sovereign Grace. I hope that you are all doing well. Wish that we were all gathered together, but in the Lord's providence, that's not to be. So we'll continue to wait on Him until that day comes. Did want to give you a brief announcement reminder before we jump into the Scriptures this morning that we will be having our Sunday evening service tonight at 7 p.m. on Zoom. Uh, that uh, that link will come out a little bit later today. We'll be looking at Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the true conversion of man, so hopefully you'll be able to join us and we'll see you there. Having said that, I'd like to draw your attention to the Word of the Lord as we find it in the 34th Psalm, slowly working our way through the Psalter, and the text before us is the 34th Psalm, and I'm going to read this Psalm in its entirety, reminding you once again that what we are about to hear and receive is the Word of the Lord. And so may we listen and may we rejoice and receive it as such. Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear. And be glad, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord. In camps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, Of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we Humbly come before You with contrite hearts, trembling before Your Word, confessing our sinfulness before You, our unworthiness to hear You speak at all. And yet we come confidently and boldly and expectantly because of the grace and love that You've shown us in Your Son, because of the promises that You have given to us and that we know You will fulfill. And so we come asking that you would feed us, that you would sustain us, that you would draw us into closer fellowship with you and with one another as your spirit makes your word effectual in our hearts and lives. Do that during this time, we pray, that you might be glorified and that your gospel might go forward to the ends of the earth. We ask this in the name of our risen and ascended Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake, amen. Well, Psalm 34, the psalm before us this morning, is a fascinating psalm. The more I studied it this week, the more clear that became to me. But one of the things that makes it so fascinating is the fact that we're given the context in which this psalm was written in the superscript. We're not given that in every psalm, but we are given that in some psalms, and we're certainly given that here in Psalm 34. And the context itself is fascinating because what we read here is that it's of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This is a psalm that was written um, after David experienced what he did in 1 Samuel chapter 21. You recall David is on the run from Samuel, uh, sorry Saul who is seeking his life, seeking to kill him because he's envious of David. And so David and his men are on the run, and they, they stop in the land of Nod, and they visit a priest there, and they eat some of the show bread, some of the bread of the presence, because there's, there's no other bread for them to eat. And David asks the priest for a sword, and he says, well, here's the one I have is, is the one that you used to cut off Goliath's head. This is Goliath's own sword. And so David takes this, and then he and his men go into the land of the Philistines. So desperate are they in running from Saul that they go to the land of the Philistines and and David finds himself in the presence of the king uh, of the Philistines named Achish. And he's referenced as Abimelech here in Psalm 34 because that was a common term, uh, a common name for one of the kings of the Philistines. And so David, understanding that he's in peril because the Philistines know who he is, He's got Goliath's sword, for crying out loud. One of the 10,000s, many of the 10,000s that David has slain are the Philistines. And so David, sensing this danger, uh, the psalm tells us, changes his mind. And 1 Samuel 21 shows us a little bit more clearly that what that means is David plays the part of a lunatic. He pretends that he has completely lost his mind so that he, he is scrawling on the doors and on the walls... And he has spittle coming out onto his beard. He's, he's drooling like a madman. And so Achish sees this, the king, and he says, Don't I have enough madmen in my country already? And so he dismisses him and says, Get out of here. And while we may look at that and say, What a clever ruse on David's part. What David records for us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, regardless of whether you think it was right and good for David to pretend to be crazy, What David says is, this was not my cleverness. This was not what that's about. This is about the Lord delivering me, the Lord using that ruse to deliver me from the hands of my enemies, who would surely kill me if the Lord hadn't done this. And so there's this exhilaration in this psalm in which David is so thankful that the Lord has delivered him out of the hands of his enemies. And so what we see then... Um, as the basic message of this psalm is twofold. First of all, that David has tasted and seen the Lord's goodness in his deliverance from the Philistines. And so, because he's tasted of the Lord's goodness and covenant faithfulness in that way, he is now driven to tell of the Lord's goodness to others. Because he's tasted, he's now moved to tell, to speak, to worship, to proclaim the Lord's goodness to the people of Israel. And brothers and sisters, that should be our experience as well. Just as David tasted and saw the Lord's covenant faithfulness and goodness under the old covenant in Christ, so too now we have tasted of the covenant faithfulness of God in Christ under the New Testament. And so just as David then told of the Lord's goodness after he tasted of it, that is our privilege as well. Out of thankfulness, out of gratefulness, and out of joy. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. I want us to look at these two realities. First of all, we're going to see how we are to taste of the Lord's goodness in verses 4 through 10 and then verses 15 through 22. And then secondly, how we are to tell of the Lord's goodness in verses 1 through 3 and verses 11 through 14. And it's my prayer and hope that we would see these realities together and rejoice in them, that we might be edified and that God might be glorified. So let's look first then at how we are to taste of the Lord's goodness. And before we even jump into verses 4 through 10, I just want to highlight for us the context, the clear context, in which David tastes of the Lord's goodness. Because the context is not perfect circumstances it's not uh, it's not like he's in eden david knows that he is in a fallen world we we see that from the superscript he has saul his his enemy pursuing him and wanting to kill him we see him before uh in the presence of his enemies in the philistines and king achish who would have surely cut him down had david not acted the part of the madman and the lord delivered him And and so we see this very clearly also in verse 19. If you jump down to verse 19 of Psalm 34, you see David says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so what are we being told? Those whom God chooses to show His grace and love and mercy in accord with His decree in eternity past, they will have a life filled with afflictions, not just occasional afflictions, but their life will have many afflictions. And so I just think it's so important that we understand that that this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is not tasting of the Lord's goodness in the midst of your best life now. No, this is tasting of the Lord's goodness in the context of a fallen world in which we ourselves are fallen. And we can see this very clearly as well in verses 4 through 7. As David relays to us his experience with Achish, In 1 Samuel chapter 21, look at verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David was terrorized in this experience, and he was in in deep trouble. And so what does he do? He seeks the Lord. And so what we see, again, he's tasting of the Lord's goodness. In what context? In a fallen world in which he's being persecuted, and he's being pursued by his enemy Saul, who wants to eradicate him. And so this is the context. We see that again in verse 5. He says, Those who look to him, to the Lord, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. We constantly have um, circumstances around us and our own fallenness, our own sinfulness that might bring shame upon us. And yet it's in that context that David has the Lord's face shine upon him. And as he beholds the Lord's goodness, as he beholds the Lord's glory, his face, too, is radiant in response. Almost like when someone smiles at you. I hope it's, it's almost irresistible for you to then smile back at them. Well, when God's smile is upon His people in the midst of this fallen world, their faces are radiant back to Him as they taste of His goodness. David goes on to say in verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This is the spiritual state. Of all of the saints, whether in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, we are as poor men before our God, spiritually needy. We have no way to to climb up and access God. He must condescend and come down to us and raise us up to Him and shower His goodness upon us. And David says, that was my state, and the Lord heard me and saved me out of all my troubles. And so again, we're seeing the context in which he tastes of this goodness. Is, is this fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, we need, as David says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear, fear him and delivers them. Why do we need the Lord's angels to come and protect us? Because we are surrounded by enemies on every side, the enemies of the flesh and the world and the devil and sickness and death and our own straying hearts And so the Lord sends his angels as ministers to us to protect us. And this is another way in which we we taste of his goodness. And so that really leads us um, then to to verse 8 where David specifically says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, here's the question I want us to to ask. Um, How do we taste of the Lord's goodness? I've kind of hinted at this already. But David makes this abundantly clear. He tells us in the second half of verse 8, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. How do we taste and experience the Lord's goodness? It's by taking refuge in Him. In the midst of this, this fallen world, we taste of His goodness as we don't turn to an idol or a false god or someone or something, even our own selves, as our refuge. But we look to the Lord. And this idea is at the very beginning of the Psalter, by the way. If you remember when we first started looking at the Psalms, we commented that Psalm 1 and 2 are like a doorway to the rest of the Psalter. And how does Psalm 2 end? It ends like this. It says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed is Are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in God's Son, the Messiah. That's how we taste of the Lord's goodness. It's by fellowshipping and communing with Him through the only mediator between us and God ever since the fall, the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think that's an interesting thing for us to wrap our our heads around. We often think life will just be easy. And the Lord will bless us materiab- materially and we will be emotionally secure and spiritually close to Him. But the reality is, is that we experience the Lord's goodness in this fallen world by taking refuge in Him. Not that all of our difficulties and trials are taken away, but that as we taste of His goodness, He sustains us through communing with Him, through fellowshipping with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we meditate on scriptures. As we understand it, and not just understanding it mentally and agreeing that it's true, but trusting in His promises, trusting in His Word, praying to Him, fellowshipping with the saints, making the good news known. These are ways that we taste and see that the Lord is good. And and why do we desire this? We've been given by the Holy Spirit as we are regenerated and given a new heart, it's as if we're given, if you will, spiritual taste buds so that we now desire fellowship and communion with the Lord. That's why Peter picks up this very verse, uh, Psalm 34, verse 8, and he quotes it in 1 Peter 2, verse 3, and says that we have tasted of the Lord's goodness because of this fellowship that we now have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we take refuge in our triune God in the midst of this fallen world. And here's the thing. When we take refuge in the Lord, when we've tasted of His goodness, what ends up happening is we end up fearing Him more than we fear anything else in this life, more than we fear our enemies, more than we fear what we may lose. We fear the Lord. In response to taking refuge in him and tasting of his goodness. That's exactly what David says in the first half of verse nine. He says, "O oh, fear, the Lord, you, His saints." Now what f- kind of fear is David talking about here? He's not talking about the fear of a servant who serves a cruel master who at any moment might crush him and take his life. He's not talking about that kind of servile fear. He's talking about the fear that a child, who knows that their parent loves them, is secure in their parent's love for them, knowing that, that they are pursuing their good, that their parents are a safe place for them because they're out for their good, that is the kind of fear that results in a reverence and a respect and an awe and an, uh, an adoration and an intimacy uh, that results in a very close relationship. It's a, it's a filial fear. And that's the kind of fear that David is talking about here. When you've tasted of the Lord's goodness and you've seen how he is a refuge for you, you fear him in this way, and that trumps all of the other fears. There's lots of fearful things that we face and experience in this life, and yet the Lord is greater than them all. And so we fear him above all else. And here's the, the result of that fear is that we lack nothing. Look at uh, the second half of verse 9 and also verse 10. For those who fear him, the Lord, have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In other words, the Lord gives um, good things to his children um, when they fear him. And so David's point is that even young lions, he's not talking about lion cubs that can't fend for themselves. He's talking about lions in their prime. They're able to to get food when they want, but even they will suffer lack if the Lord does not provide food for them. Any good thing that any creature receives, they receive from the Lord's hand. And if the Lord closes his hand to that good thing, they no longer have it. But what David is saying here is that the Lord never closes his hand to his people. He continues to shower good things upon them. Why? Because God is the source and fount of all good things. Because God is not just a participant in goodness. God is goodness himself. And so anything else that has or participates in goodness or has goodness communicated to them, the source is God himself, which is exactly what Jesus means when he says in Matthew 19, 17, God alone is good. He is the absolute good. And so even when we are lacking in material goods or we feel like the Lord is withholding some good thing from us, the reality is we have all the good that we need because we have God Himself. That is the gospel that He's graciously given Himself to us in Christ. And so throughout the ages then uh, of the church, God's people have rejoiced in the reality that He gives Himself him, He which is goodness, truth, and beauty himself to his people. And so that's why Basil the Great can say, God himself is absolute good. And they who seek him will not be without him. God is goodness itself, and when we seek him, he gives us himself. And so we don't just have good things. We have that which is goodness itself, the Lord. Anselm says in the proslogion, Love the one good in which all good things exist. That's God. And it will be sufficient for you. He will be sufficient when you realize that all good things come from Him. And so you don't just have good things, again, but you have goodness itself. Which is exactly why the psalmist says what he does elsewhere in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Brothers and sisters, when we have the Lord himself, we will have no lack because God has no lack. And in Christ, he gives us himself in love and grace and mercy. But here's the thing. God doesn't just give us himself. He also does shower good things upon us. And so here's the question then. How, how does the Lord show us that goodness? Well, David enumerates Uh, several ways that the Lord shows us His goodness, starting in verse 15 until the end of the psalm. And the first thing that we see uh, in the way that the Lord shows His goodness towards us is in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. And this is the same idea in verse 17, by the way. Look at verse 17 of Psalm 34. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. What David is saying is the Lord is a good father to his children, right? Good parents, good earthly parents, they, they listen for their children. They watch their children when they're very young because they can't take care of themselves and they're prone to harm themselves and not take care of themselves in the ways that they need to. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and, and trust me, I can, I can tell you that's very much the case And so good parents listen and and, and they watch their kids that they can act on their behalf and make sure that their own good is pursued, sometimes against their own will. And what we're being told is that's exactly what the Lord does for us. But human parents, earthly parents do it imperfectly. The Lord does it perfectly. He listens and watches and cares for his children, for their good and his glory. We also experience the Lord's goodness um, and have that lavished upon us, taste and see His goodness, in that He is against our enemies. Look at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is a staggering reality that the Lord is against those who are against us because if they're our enemies they're the enemies of the Lord and if the Lord if someone is against the Lord then they are against us because we are now one with the Lord by grace through faith and so the Lord is saying I will deliver you from all your enemies there is coming a day when I will completely eradicate them whether that enemy be the flesh the world the devil sickness death itself which is the last enemy Jesus will return and conquer them all fully and finally he's dealt the decisive death blow in his first coming but the final strike where all of our enemies will be cast into hell is when jesus comes back a second time and so we're waiting patiently for that and and enduring whatever we must endure understanding that that great day is coming but that's not the only way that the lord shows his goodness to his people he also shows his goodness to them in verse 18 by being near to them look at verse 18 The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is a beautiful reality. And and what we're being promised here is that when we're brokenhearted, when we're crushed in spirit because of our circumstances, because of our own sin, because of loss, because of grief, because of life in this fallen world, the Lord is near to us in a unique and special way. Yes, the Lord is everywhere present all the time. But what we're being told in this psalm is that when we're brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, He is close to us in a unique and special way. And that should bring great joy to our hearts, brothers and sisters, and comfort. Because when are you most tempted to believe that the Lord is distant and far off and doesn't care? It's when you are suffering. It's when you, you are blind with grief. It's when you're brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. And so to know that even though it feels like the Lord is, is light years away, to know that when you cannot sense His presence, to know that He is near to you and closer to you in a special and unique way during those times should bring great joy and comfort to our hearts. And so it's something that we need to, to taste regularly of, um, especially... When we're suffering, we also taste of the Lord's goodness. David says, in that the Lord keeps us. Look at verses 19 through 22 with me. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, none of those who take refuge in Him, will be condemned. Unlike our enemies, brothers and sisters, who, who are condemned and cast into the fires of hell for all eternity when Christ comes back, we will endure and persevere. Whatever the suffering, even if our bones are broken, we will be raised to newness of life with a, a glorified body, even as the Lord Jesus Christ Had a glorified body. And so the Lord doesn't just save us and say, make sure you don't lose this salvation. No, He he keeps us by causing us to persevere and endure in our faith. And He keeps us until the very end so that we will not be condemned when we stand before the great throne, a white throne judgment. And so, brothers and sisters, this this is how we taste. Of the Lord's goodness. But here's a question that comes up pastorally all the time How can we be sure? How can I be sure that God is not just good, essentially, in and of Himself, objectively, and and not just good generally to His people? But how can I know that the Lord is good to me, specifically? How do we assure ourselves and have confidence? Of the Lord's goodness when when we're struggling to see it, when we, we can't see any evidences of it. Well, brothers and sisters, Scripture is abundantly clear that, that what we are to do in that circumstance is we are to look to Christ. And we are to look to Christ on the cross. Which by the way, this very psalm does. Because the apostle John, in his gospel, in John chapter nineteen, verse thirty six, he says that Jesus' death on a cross is a fulfillment of Psalm 34, verse 20. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. You remember Jesus was, as he was dying on the cross, the Romans, the way that they would hasten the death of their victim as they, was, they were crucified, is they would break their legs. Now, why would you break the legs? Because the only way you could breathe on the cross was by pushing up with your feet so you could take a deep breath, and then you'd let yourself down again, and then you'd have to push up again so that your lungs could expand and take in a breath. Well, if your legs were broken, you couldn't push yourself up and take a breath. And so um, they, the Roman soldiers were going and breaking the legs of the other victims, but when they came to Jesus, they were surprised to see that he had died so quickly. And so what do they do? Instead, they stab him with a spear, and blood and water come out to show that, that he has died. And here's the thing, not a bone of Jesus was broken. And what is that showing us? It's showing us that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the the promised Passover lamb who would take away the sins of the world. You remember, it was required under the old covenant that the Passover lamb not have any blemishes, that it be spotless, and not a single one of its bones were to be broken. And so what we're being shown is that Jesus is the perfectly righteous man who has fulfilled the law in our place and has taken our sins upon himself. They were imputed to him on the cross and he was slain. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us that we might be reconciled to God. And brothers and sisters, behold the goodness of God that he sent his only son to do this when we were his enemies. And so where do you look when you're struggling to believe that the Lord is good? You look to Christ on the cross and you say he gave His son for me. And so I know that he is for my good, even in this circumstance as well. That's Paul's whole point, by the way, in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says, What then shall we say to these things as we suffer in the midst of a fallen world? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us? All things. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If He gave us His Son when we were His enemies, we can trust Him now that we're His adopted sons in Jesus to give us all good things, to be with us. We may not always understand His ways. We may think that we need a good thing now that really wouldn't be good for us if we actually got it. And God knows better than we do. But we can trust Him and know that He is out for our good because we see His goodness when we look at Christ on the cross. And so, really, to summarize this whole section, I can't think of a better way to do it than to quote Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, speaking of the Father's goodness. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? No earthly parent will do that. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a ser- serpent. If you then, who are evil, we're all evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? We can trust our Father's goodness, brothers and sisters, not just because He's goodness itself, but because He is good towards us in His Son and in all of His dealings with us. And so that's a reality that we need to feast ourselves upon regularly, to taste and see that goodness of the Lord in all of these ways. And what will result as because of that? What will be a consequence of tasting of the Lord's goodness? The consequence will be that we then tell of the Lord's goodness in turn, which is exactly what we see David doing here. Look at verse 1 with me. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually come out Or, sorry, shall continually be in my mouth. What we're seeing then is because David has tasted of the Lord's goodness, he now tells of the Lord's goodness. Whatever it is that you are tasting and feasting upon, wherever it is that you find your life, that will inevitably find expression in your speech, right? This is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospels. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and so that's what we see David, David doing here. In response to tasting the Lord's goodness, he says, "I will bless the Lord at all times, whether things are good or things are bad. I will bless the Lord because because He is the Lord. He is worthy of blessing and praise and honor and glory. And it's 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 a decision of the will that David has made made here." Notice how he says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. David is committed to always praising the Lord, which means he's also committed to always feasting and tasting of the Lord's goodness in his word and in his promises. And what does tasting of the Lord's goodness, what effect does that have on David? Well, it has an effect on him that it humbles him. You see that in verse 2. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord... Let the humble hear and be glad. David's saying, I've seen the reality of of my my weakness Uh, in in light of God's glorious greatness and goodness and and the infinite um, perfections of the Lord. I, I see how sinful, how unholy, how lowly, how needy and dependent I am upon Him. And so I don't boast. In anything that the Lord has given me, David doesn't boast here in his cleverness before Achish and say, look, I've delivered myself by my own hands. No, he says, even those things that I may have received, they come from the Lord. And so I boast in the one from whom all good things come. And so this humility results in boasting. And so David then embodies the reality of Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24 in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And as others who are humble hear David boasting in the Lord, they too will rejoice. Because the only way you can boast in the Lord and rejoice in something that the Lord does good in somebody else is if you understand that the ultimate source of that is not the person itself, but the Lord. And so here's the thing. We don't just boast in the Lord alone. For us, when we've tasted of the Lord's goodness and we've been humbled and we're singing of his praises, we want others to join us as well. And so you see that in verse 3. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It's not enough for me just to boast and tell of the Lord's goodness. I want all of the people of God to join in that chorus so that we're doing it together. And I think this makes perfect sense. I think this is part of what the Lord is talking about back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when he looks at Adam all by himself and says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates the woman and gives Eve to Adam. And we have the first, not only marriage, but the first little community. And I think what that's showing us in part is that we're not meant to glorify and worship the Lord in isolation, but in communion, we want others to join us in praising the Lord's goodness. Because if every mouth that was ever created was singing of the Lord's goodness, it wouldn't be enough for us to express how great and how good he is. But we're, we're created to express and worship the Lord together. And because that's true, what we see David then doing is wanting to teach others what he himself has been taught. He is now opening his mouth and telling of God's goodness, and he wants to impart that to others so that they will then open up their mouths and and tell of the Lord's goodness as well. He wants them to taste and see that the Lord is good so that they will then tell of the Lord's goodness to others as well. And so we see that in verse 11. Look at verse 11. David says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will tell you of the fear of God. I will teach you, excuse me, of the fear of the Lord. Again, notice David cannot be silent. (laughs) He has a big mouth and wants to boast about the goodness of the Lord. And so he, he addresses the children of Israel and says, I want to instruct you, listen to me, and I'll teach you how you are to fear the Lord yourself. And so he asks them then this rhetorical question. Look at verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, That he may see good. He's basically asking them, who wants to live the good life? Who wants to live the the life, the blessed life, the happy life that God created you to live, even in this fallen world? And notice what he says first. Here's what the, the good life looks like in which you tell of the Lord's goodness. Look at verse 13. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, speak the truth and don't lie. Again, you see the theme here, right? If you taste of the Lord's goodness, what's going to result? Your, your, your speech is going to change because out of the abundance of your, your heart that you've tasted and seen of the Lord's goodness, you're now going to tell of the Lord's goodness because you've tasted not just of the, the, the truth in general, but of the one who is truth itself goodness truth and beauty itself and so because that's true and because you're united to the God who is truth itself by grace through faith in Christ your life is now shaped by truth and you love the truth and you want to speak the truth about God and his world and his people and his gospel and and so your life now is characterized not by teaching false doctrine but but good doctrine true doctrine truth about God from his Word, your mouth, your speech is changed when you've tasted of the Lord's goodness. And so this has effect on your entire life. And we see that in verse 14. What does David say? Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, in other words, if you love the Lord, if your fellowship is with the one who is goodness itself, the good of all goods, That will necessarily show up in your life. You will grow in hating evil and walking in the ways of the flesh, the world, and the devil. And instead you will turn away from those and turn to the one who is goodness itself. And that goodness will begin to express itself in your life as your character is shaped after the image of God, after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and we're being conformed to His image, we will also pursue peace. Not by way of compromise, but we will be a people who, insofar as it depends on us, Paul says, we will pursue peace. You you ever been around people that are just always itching for a fight, or you ever felt that way yourself? Um, Sometimes in the flesh we we, we feel that way, but by the Spirit we're those who want to seek peace with others, because we've experienced peace with God. And as we, we look at this concept of, of telling of the Lord's goodness because we've tasted of the Lord's goodness, we see this ultimately, uh, the ultimate reality of this in Jesus' life, don't we? The ultimate singer of all the Psalms is Jesus. And so when we look at his life and ministry, we see that no one has tasted more deeply of the Father's goodness than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, what is he talking about constantly? What is he teaching people about? What is he preaching? The good news is the goodness of the Father, the goodness of the Lord in giving the Son as the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so how then, we've seen how this finds expression in David's life, very briefly in Jesus' life. How is it to find expression in our lives, brothers and sisters? What is this to look like? Well, I think it shows up as we do two things. And there are two things that Paul talks about in his letter to Titus in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, since we are united to Christ, Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is our privilege not only to proclaim the doctrine of God to others, the truth of the gospel. Oh, how important that is, and we need to never cease doing that. But it's also our privilege to then adorn that gospel and show the beauty of that gospel, the fruit that results in being united with Christ by our good works, by loving our enemies, by blessing those who curse us. By loving God and our neighbor, we we show the beautiful fruit of the gospel. Our good works and our our good lives are not the gospel itself, but they are to be there and they will be there by the grace of the Holy Spirit as as decorations (laughs) adorning the beauty of the gospel as the Spirit works the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray that, that it is... It is our ambition in all of life to taste deeply and to see the Lord's goodness and then to tell of that goodness to others. And I believe that as we do that, as we we seek refuge in the Lord in the midst of this fallen world, in in the midst of all of the, the, the losses and sufferings, the trials and temptations that we experience, that the song that will well up in our hearts, is the song of that old hymn writer, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Who is the fount of every blessing? It is our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've tasted of your goodness, fount of every blessing. And so now I want you to tune my heart to sing your praise that I might tell of your goodness. Because streams of mercy never ceasing, that's what the Lord shows us in Christ, call for songs of loudest praise that we might, like David, bless the Lord at all times, that His praise might be continually in our mouths. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above, that we might join the songs that are being sung in the very presence of God in heaven. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's redeeming love. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, let us taste and see that the Lord is good, and then tell of His goodness all the days of our lives until that great day when our tasting of the Lord's goodness turns into feasting forevermore when we join together with all the saints at the great supper of the Lamb. How we long for Jesus to come quickly. Hasten the day, Lord, we pray. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do acknowledge that You are good. And we're thankful that you have shown that goodness to us ultimately in the provision of your Son, in whom we are reconciled to you, alive to you now. And so it's our great privilege to all the days of our lives in this fallen world to taste and see that you are good. By your Spirit, conform us more to the image of Christ, that we might adorn the gospel of God as we tell others of your goodness in your Son, that you might be praised and that Your gospel might go to the ends of the earth. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.